She was the lady that came up with the word scrumptious for Dairy Queen. She was writing radio commercials during what year? Back in the 30s or 20s? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, 30s and 40s, probably into the 50s. Where was she living? Back was Oklahoma, Miami, Oklahoma. That's interesting. I had a guy on my list who just sent me, he was so gracious for all the audio recordings I had on my site, and he just sent me this CD of all these old radio commercials from the 1920s and the no 19... I swear, I just just last week, and I'm going to put them all up on my hard-to-find ad site. They were, they're public domain, and you've got puff grain and wheat berries, the same concept that Claude Hopkins wrote. And I was reading some research in uh, a book called Taken at the Flood. It's the story of Albert Lasker, you know, with Lord and Thomas. That's who Claude Hopkins worked for. And Albert Lasker, he wasn't real sold on radio until he was introduced to it by a friend of his. And he saw Pepsodent sales, which was one of their accounts, um, triple by sponsoring it with some of the uh, soap operas that they had on the early radio stations. <laughs> and he ended up owning and bought almost 30% of all the radio during that time. Oh. Lord & Thomas was one of the largest advertising agencies next to J. Walter Thompson. They had um, Quaker Oats. They had, I'd have to look at the list, which are some of the companies that Hopkins developed when he was working with Lord & Thomas. And some of these radio commercials matched the same written campaigns that Hopkins established when he was working for Lord and Thomas. It's fascinating. And to that listen, they're all going to be up on that hard-to-find ad site for everyone to listen. You, you're so creative. I think you're childlike, and you've got that great imagination. The imagination is a gift. Well, I, I work hard at it. You know how to channel it. You know what to do with it. Let's continue. All right. So I, you know, I was mailing these letters. I was getting good results. And I didn't look at it in terms of Oh, percentages or anything. I just knew if I mailed out a hundred letters to a hundred different preschools that I was going to book 15 or 16 shows. That's the only way I looked at it. Uh, some of this just occurred to me logically. You know what? I, I mailed them a month ago, I, but they didn't call me back. Yeah, I, I think I'll just send them another letter and say, hey, What's the deal, man? I, you know, I didn't hear it back from you. Right. I got a spring special going on. And I thought, man, you guys should jump all over this. But you didn't. You really ought to take advantage of it. Look at some of the quotes I got from some of these other preschool directors. And so what happened when you mailed them again? <laughs> on, and on any mailing I would do again, I'd get another ten shows like that. You know, and it, it wasn't... Oh, i got to have a drip system, you know. It was just, well, a part of it was naturally, but then there was it, the lesson I learned from Jeffrey Lance was mm-hmm. you got to follow up seven times with these people. Seven times is ideal. That didn't just naturally occur to me, but the way I thought about it wasn't from a marketing point of view mm-hmm. the, other than seven times, you know, I did, all I knew is I got to contact them at least seven times before I take them off the list. Did you do all seven? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mailed them dozens of times. <laughs> so give me an idea. First time, maybe pull in how many shows? Second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time? Just as a, just to give me an idea from your experience just for the magic shows. Well, you know, the magic business is a wonderful thing because if a preschool likes you, they've had you and they like you. 
and they get a letter in the mail two months later, guess what? They'll just call and book you again because they have bad magicians come in. Oh, gee, we don't, oh, that was horrible. And they're hesitant to hire another magician. Mm -hmm. But then once they saw me, they were like, oh, that was awesome. That was great. You know, then they were happy to have me back, but I, I needed to contact them. Sometimes they would call me and say, yeah, we got this special fair going on. You want to come and put on a show? But very rarely would people just call out of the blue in the beginning and schedule a show. I just did what Jeffrey Lance said. That's really, I just did it. I put it into action. And then anyway, I had, I had this uh, other magician friend in Atlanta I had met. His name is John Cooper. Mm -hmm. He told me about this idea. Well, actually before that, I mean, I mean I'm giving you all the scoops. Uh, I mean, I'm just filling you in on all the deep. Somehow I had met John, but he was in Atlanta, and he was a children's entertainer, magician, too. And he said, you know, uh, Brian, I've been thinking about starting a fan club. I'm like, oh, come on, John. Fan clubs are for TV stars, and fan clubs are for rock stars. They're not for magicians, like <laughs> stupid little local magicians like me and you. And he's like, no, no, I'm... I'm really thinking about doing it. And so we both put our sync apps together. Well, anyway, he ended up coming out with a product called How to Build Your Birthday Business. Mm -hmm. And it was six months later, and I heard about this product. And I said, now, wait a minute. Is that the same John Cooper? And it was. And what he had done, he'd, he'd come up with this idea of doing a fan club, and he started selling it to other magicians. And I'm sure it wasn't much of an income stream for him at the time. So I called him up and said, hey, dude, you're doing that bankrupt thing and you're selling it. And he's like, yeah, let me send you one over. And, my, oh, man, this was, this was just beautiful. What I learned from John was to give away a coloring sheet at every magic show. To all, every kid gets a coloring sheet. Mm -hmm. And it's a picture of the magician and his bunny or whatever it is. But they get to color it, right? Mm -hmm. And on the bottom, uh, John said, put your phone number and offer him a, a free magic trick. And you can just photocopy these little magic tricks that they can make out of paper somehow. And they'll call you and they'll sign up for the free magic club. And when they call, you got to get their name and address. You might as well get their birthday. And uh, the parents will call, and they'll sign them up, and the kids will be excited about it, and they want to get the magic trick. So I thought about it, and I thought, well, I don't know if that would work or not, but maybe I'll try it. Well, in the meantime, I had gone over to a friend's house. She had asked me, hey, will you come over, Brian, and make some balloon animals? My nephews and nieces are in from out of town, and it would just be fun. Mm -hmm. So I go over there and start making balloon animals. And she introduces me to her nieces and nephews, and she says, Hey, guys, this is Uncle Brian. And they're all like, Uncle Brian, hi, Uncle Brian. <laughs> Can you make me a sword? Can you make me a hat? Can uh -huh. you make me a puppy dog, you know? And, man, it just knocked me on the floor. He kept saying this, Uncle Brian, who is that? And uh, I remember this in your letters in your advertising magic. <laughs> and I became Uncle Brian that day. And it was like, it was a branding. And I had a, a cartoonist put together a logo. 
and a caricature of me, mm -hmm. and I uh, I became Uncle Bryant, and that is when my magic business started to overtake profit wise the janitorial business. And I had sister-in-law and a brother-in-law who would go out and do the cleaning for me on some of the bigger jobs, and I would just keep the weekend r routine. When I became Uncle Brian, I started using that. It was just magical. And what happened with the birthday fan club, here's, here's what happened. After I became Uncle Brian, I decided, you know what, I think I will do this fan club deal. But I'm not going to make them call me. I'm going to put a fan club application at the bottom of this coloring sheet. Mm -hmm. It's a legal size paper with a cutoff application. And at the bottom of the coloring sheet portion, above the application, it said, Hey, Mom or Dad, got a birthday party coming up mm -hmm. for your son or daughter? Uncle Brian makes a great hassle-free birthday party for you and tons and tons of fun for the kids. That's great. Call today, you know, and gave my number. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing these preschools and elementary schools, and I was giving out coloring sheets by the thousands. <laughs> and my, and my <coughs> phone, every time I'd do an elementary school show, I'd get home and there'd be six birthday party messages waiting. Wow. We got a birthday party next weekend. Oh, can you make it? Can you do it? And, of course, the urgency creates demand, so I get to charge more. And any time I do a preschool show, I almost always get one birthday party from a preschool show, too. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that happened is my mailbox got jammed with fan club applications. I started my own database, my own mailing list, and I had the parents' names, I had the kids' names, I had their age, I had their birth date. And... I would mail the hard-hitting but warm, heartfelt sales letter to these parents. And that letter was pulling right about 36%. I would, I would mail these out. I would even, this is so funny, Michael, I even have kids send me their coloring sheets that they colored. Write a note on the back of it. Uncle Brian, you're so funny. <laughs> oh, and I even... This was classic, dude. I even had this little girl call me <laughs> the week before Thanksgiving. Uncle Brian, are you coming to Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah, I believe it. They yeah. loved me. It was good. I mean, I really, really was good. You have to be good to get that kind of passionate response from the kids. That's great. That sounds I mean, I bet you were having a great time with it. I really was. It, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. You know, on Saturdays, I was doing 14 to 20 birthday parties all day, and I was driving 90 miles an hour on the freeway to get all around the valley on the shows. And then I had this restaurant gig on the weekend where I'd go and I'd do magic at the table, patron, get me corporate shows. I started selling myself as a trade show magician. And I had to do that by phone because I couldn't figure out a way to do that. Good money in that? Oh, yeah. I did really good. I did probably 20 trade shows over two years. And I was getting at least a 1000 a day. And each show's about, it was two to three days. So those were godsend for my family.
Okay, so you're always looking for bigger and better and more. Yeah, but I had to keep the, the elementary schools going because that's how I got the message out. You know, you'd pass out a thousand coloring sheets at a single show. Uh-huh. What a great opportunity for marketing, you know. But it's disguised as a free coloring sheet. And plus there's the free gift, you know, a $10 value when you sign up for the fan club. So there's lots of incentive there. So anyway, somehow... I found out about this marketing seminar from magicians. So I spent, you know, 395 bucks, which was a lot of money for me to spend. And I went, I took a plane down to Albuquerque. And I'm, I want to tell you this because this is the turning point from brick stacking to janitorial to magic. And now we're going into copywriting. And I was at the seminar and I had brought my birthday letters and my school letters. And the school letters had consistently pulled 15, 20% returns. You know, like I said, for every 100 letters I'd mail, I'd get 15 shows at least. And I brought these birthday party letters that were just blowing the doors off. I mean, I was I was booking so many birthday parties with that letter. You know, I'd send it out about three weeks before the child's birthday for the birthdays of April or what have you. And man, that was just phenomenal results. So I took these letters down, and we're talking, we're talking. you got to understand, I was like the class clown of the seminar, okay? And I just loved it. I mean, it was it was just a great, just all clicked really well. Mm-hmm. How many people were down there? Oh, there were probably about 50, but some of them were couples. How old were you now? Do you remember that? I was about 28, 29. You know, at first I had set up the very front row, very center, you know, I'm here to learn, man. And I started to realize that except for the guys that were explaining, well, here's what I did to get business, and here's how it works, and blah, 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 I pretty much knew more than these people. Other than Brian, I'm sure Brian Brian Flora knew a lot more. I mean, he, he was brilliant, but... Anyway, so again, I was way up front. Well, anyway, I ended up on the back row making wisecracks, right? Mm-hmm. And there were, uh, I'll never forget this, and this is why it's so, I just want to explain the details. We had an aisle down the center, and uh, to the left and right of this aisle were tables with about four chairs, five chairs per table. And I was sitting in the back on the inside chair to the right of the aisle. See a clear view of the speaker. There was another gentleman sitting in the front row on the opposite side of the aisle on the inside, mm-hmm. just as I was, just the exact opposite. Now, this guy we all had a lot of respect for. His name, I think it was Thomas Alexander. Mm-hmm. This guy was well connected we all knew it we could all sense it he lived in Hollywood he knew Gene Roddenberry in fact he wrote Gene Roddenberry's biography who's Gene Roddenberry oh he's the he's the guy that created Star Trek okay so we just were like wow this is the guy I mean this guy knows stuff Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. he knows people He's, he's amazing you know we just held him in this high esteem as a group well, anyway, I shared these letters. Mr. Flora was talking about copywriting, and I just raised my hand, and I said, you know, I, I got something here that I'd like to share with the group. 
and I held up my letters and he goes, yeah, go ahead, Brian. And I held up these letters and I explained to them what was going on. I, you know, I was pulling 36% response, 15 to 20% response, and there was this silence because I said, is that pretty good? <laughs> and their jaws were just on the floor. And Brian goes, hell yeah! <laughs> and everybody just erupted with laughter and cheering. They were like, you've got to be kidding me! I was just excited. Anyway, this, this Gene Roddenberry dude, right? <laughs> Forgot his name. I think it's just Thomas Alexander. He, uh, Finally, after it all kind of settled down, everybody's like, can we get copies of those? And blah, 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 and all that. We were all sitting back down. He looked straight back down the rows at me. And I could see this as plain as day. And he says, well, get out of the magic business and get into the copywriting business. There's a hell of a lot more money you can make. And everybody laughed and laughed and laughed. And I, was, I didn't laugh. I just went, what? Huh? The <laughs> so I talked to him and he, and he explained it. He said, yeah, people pay, will pay you to write their radio ads and their TV and their, and well, obviously you have, you're good at letters. People pay a fortune for you to write a letter for them. And so my eyes lit up and that's the point that I really decided, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to start selling this copywriting stuff. What was the first thing you did? when you got back? I thought about it. I went through the money-making marketing book from a copywriter's point of view instead of a magician's point of view. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make a plan. I tried to come up with, okay, well, who's going to hire me? And it was tough. It wasn't as easy as magic. I just didn't... I couldn't see. And I thought, well, maybe it was ad agencies at first. and They don't want my kind of copy. It, it ended up being a really, really tough way to go. An interesting thing happened. It was November 91. I went to that seminar. And so I struggled to build a copywriting business on the side. By the time the next November rolled around, it was time for another seminar, which I did go to. I, you know, I was doing okay as a copywriter. I probably brought in 800 bucks a month more. But I was still doing magic shows. Uh, let me back up two months. September, I did a, a card deck card in one of Jeffrey Lance's card decks. Now, card decks were getting kind of stale at that point. But I thought, I didn't know that, first off. But second off, I thought, well, what the heck? It's going to business people. And this is a card deck Jeffy, or Jeffrey Lance put together? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And I actually did a few other uh, card decks, too. I did, like, two other ones. And, you know, had I done it a year earlier, I think it would have been wildly successful. But by then, card decks were just being, they were overused, and people just didn't have any attraction to them anymore. You used to really find really killer ideas and deals in a card deck. Anyway, it got me some leads, and it did close me some deals. On the card, just for, as a side note, I just put, learn the 10 most common marketing mistakes and how you can avoid them. And I kind of touted myself as a copywriter slash marketing expert, and this freak set will share it with you. And it did. Had you heard of Abraham by that time? 
Uh, yeah, I had, actually. Well, that was the other thing. At the seminar, I met a gentleman by the name of Millard Grubb. Oh, yeah. I know Millard. Yeah. And he introduced me to Jay. Jay Stuff, Jay's material, and he introduced me. He, he was hesitant, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he introduced me to Gary Halbert's stuff. Was he a magician at that time? Was he doing yeah, magic? I think he was a hypnotist. But, uh, yeah, he was at the seminar. So that's where you first learned about Halbert and Abraham? Yeah. At that seminar? It was from, uh, well, it was from my, from meeting Miller at the seminar. Did you buy any of their stuff? I bought everything. Okay, so you got all of Abraham's stuff? I became a lifetime subscriber to Gary Halbert based on Miller's, uh, yeah, what Miller told me. <laughs> and I'll never forget his, he was just dying of excitement. He says, Brian, I'm not going to tell you this guy's name, but every month his letter comes in my mailbox and I just fall all over myself to get to the mailbox and rip that thing open and I just devour it the moment I get it. This guy is genius. And so I said, dude, I am, I signed me up, you know. What was I? I think it was 2400 bucks on a credit card just to be part of that. Yeah, so I kind of got introduced to that, and I did the card deck, and I had some copy business, and I went to the next magic seminar, and it was we had a good time. And by the time January had rolled around, the magic business had just fallen off. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. So I was mailing the same mailers, but it was just fading off, and the copy business was magically picking up. Now. Please understand, I was doing $350 <laughs> copy job, $500. By the most I'd ever gotten was $850 for like a six-page sales letter. Tell me a couple of them that stick out in your mind, the products or you know some of the jobs you were doing in the real early days. Um, one of them was for uh, Joe Castro. I think it was Infolink, and it was long-distance service, and that letter kicked but wish to this day I could find it, but uh, and I can't. He did incredible with that. And then uh, there was a David Saunders who hired me to sell this software bundle, and I used the opening. I'm I'm going to give you two pieces of software as a shameless bribe. Now these aren't piece of junk software, you know, blah blah blah. But I just want to give them to you as your gift for trying. And I think it was called AutoMap mm-hmm. software. And it was a penny letter. And it did great. It sounds like a Halper letter. I, I copied it almost word for word on the intro. Okay, so you were devouring Halbert stuff and using some of the copy stuff that you were learning from him. Yeah. Had they attached a penny to it? Yeah. Yeah, they put a penny on it and everything. We decided to mail it in the window the name showing through and we thought between the window looking it's going to go in the A pile more than likely it's got a window and they feel the penny they're going to really be curious about this mm-hmm. so and it worked like crazy it worked like James Bus. now at this time in your copywriting career you were just getting money up front you had no idea about a back end or residual or a piece of the action on any of that well I, I had heard it from Jay but I, I didn't see how to implement it. I, it wasn't a concept that I understood. I just didn't get it. So 
really, uh, you know, if you look in the dedication in that magic, Miller's name is like right there yeah. up front <laughs> because only after my family. Because really, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere uh, if it weren't for Miller. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy, too, on top of that. Just a real blessing in my life. Well, anyway, I was getting some coffee business, and the magic business, I mean, it had just shut off like a faucet almost. It blew my mind. What was it, the economy? Yeah, I can only assume that that's what it was. But here's what happened. I was still doing shows, magic shows, but I was getting... Probably most of my money was coming from these small little copy jobs. I became a copywriter in the Jeffrey Lent copywriting service thing that he offered for a while. So I was getting a few small jobs from there. About that time, I decided I needed to get some new glasses because I had this spot on my eye. It's kind of weird. It was like a there was a booger on my eye, and I couldn't get it off, couldn't wipe it off, but I could see it, and it was it was just weird. And it got to the point where if I was standing two or three feet in front of somebody looking face on, having a conversation with them, the left side of their face would become invisible. <laughs> I could see through it. It was really weird. I thought, man, I need some glasses. So I went into the eye doctor and he checked my eyes and you know, gave me a new prescription. Just, just as I was walking out his you know, the little dark room they have. I said, by the way, uh, I got this little thing going on here. It's like I got a booger on my eye and I can't get rid of it. And he's like, oh, really? Let's have a look. So he looks a little closer. He doesn't see anything or anything. So he says, you know, Brian, you ought to have that checked out. I'm going to schedule your appointment. At, oh, what's a, what's a medical eye? Uh, ophthalmologist. Yeah, thank you. Couldn't think of the word. So... He schedules me an appointment, and I go over there, and they do all these tests on my eyes, and they blow air in them, and they shoot lasers, and they test my peripheral vision, mm -hmm. all these tests and stuff. They shoot this dye in my blood. Anyway, it's really weird. Finally, I came back like three days later to meet with the doctor and see what his findings were. And he goes, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyes, uh, nothing at all. You have really good eyes, actually. I said, well, what's going on then? And he goes, well, we're, we're really not sure. We're probably going to have you take an MRI. I said, well, what's that? And he explained it to me. I said, okay. You know, I didn't ask why. And he goes, so we'll let you know. We'll call you and let you know when that's going to be. So as I'm walking out his door and I start walking down the long hallway he peeks his head out of the office and he says I hope you're enjoying this interview with Brian Keith Royals please continue to part three if you'd like to hone your skills as a copywriter, I have available for you the largest collection of one of the all-time master copywriters. His name is Claude Hopkins. Do a search on Claude Hopkins or go to my website, ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com. Claude Hopkins was one of the founders of modern-day advertising. He was one of the all-time legends in the industry. And myself and a partner have authored a book called the Claude Hopkins Advertising. 
advertising collection. We have also searched thousands of newspapers to pull out all his classic ads. He's been responsible for building companies like Pepsodent Toothpaste, Palmolive, Schlitz Malt Liquor, many household products like puffed wheat cereal that you're still using in your kitchens today and he was the master and the genius behind this. He was responsible for many of the cars we drive today like the Oldsmobile. Go check it out. ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com If you want the ultimate in education on how to write copy you cannot pass this up. So go on over to ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com and learn from the best.